I feel a bit tired of like, why do I still have to keep being branded as like, oh, this female bartender? It, it's a title that has been around for so many years. The thing that saddens me is that we're saying this over and over again, but it still needs to be said. It still needs to be put out there because there are still women who are being oppressed. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. I'm your host, Castle Lim. We are back with Season 2, where I sit down with Southeast Asia's leaders, entrepreneurs, and content creators in the F&B space. This podcast is where you learn about their trade secrets, or maybe you just find them as your next-door neighbour. This show is supported by Good Foodie Media. For foodie who wants to connect to the world through food, they curate the best spots to eat and drink in Malaysia, Bangkok, and Singapore. Check them out on Instagram for more. Born with a literal hole in her heart, Amanda Wan describes herself as a difficult kid, but it made her more courageous and determined. Whether it was venturing off her family's line of work as artist to become a Starbucks barista, or fearlessly diving into and crushing the male-dominated industry of bartending, she made both a drink and a name for herself. Amanda was later named one of the top 25 bartenders in Hong Kong by Drinks World Asia 2014-2015, and top three in the prestigious Bacardi Legacy Cocktail Competition in Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. The first time I had ice cream was actually at, was it a Swenson's or a TGI Friday's? And my parents were very, very cautious and just gave me one spoon to try. And I was like, oh, what is this thing that is like cold and flavorful and sweet and melting in my mouth? And yeah, I think uh, that got me hooked onto not necessarily just sweet things, but really just to explore flavor and how I would react to it, react with it, and, you know, sort of resonate with it. And yeah, uh, very lucky kid. I grew up with two grandmothers, my papa and my mama, mm-hmm. both whom are very accomplished cooks. Yeah. Uh, one also a very accomplished baker. So I had the best of both worlds. I had all the savory things and I had all the sweet things. And then I turned into a very round kid. (laughs) So (laughs) I think that was probably the greatest part of my childhood. So even though my parents were still very strict with uh, the food that we had in the house, it was all brown rice and um, carrots and, you know, there were no chips and uh, no chocolates. But when I went over to my mama's house, which is where my cousin lives as well, uh, she would have like all the bagua and all the soda and all the ice cream that I wanted. And so, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you kind of grew up with boys and did a lot of boys activities, right? Oh, yeah. In our neighborhood, there were a whole bunch of other kids, but a lot of them my age were boys. And they were like, oh, okay, you know, like kids should play with kids their age. And then we would do all the regular stuff and go and catch fish in the longkang, catch tadpole, climb this, climb that, hop over the fence. And so it's like, you know, it just didn't feel odd to me until I started wearing dresses and they had to wear, no, they still wore shorts and you know, they would like go to the back alley and go and have a pee. And I'm like, mm, how come they can have a pee in the back alley, but I cannot? <laughs> so it's just like nonsense, things like that. But just never felt like uh, I was too different from them. Not like all the things, you know, we went to the same school, we would like eat the same food and we play at the same time in the same places. And so like, yeah, I think... Uh, I can say I was a bit of a tomboy to begin with, but I also like my pretty things. And so I would come back with like the most scuffed up like socks and dresses and shoes and my mom would be so upset. (laughs) But she never did much about it. So yeah, continue (laughs) long. So fast forward, you went to school for arts and design and you decided to take a break from it. What did you do during that break? So I, my, my dad is an artist and we're a very creative household would always have, uh, he would have 
like arty Sundays with us and my brother and I would be painting things or making things and we had like uh yeah just a lot of crafty things going on so I always thought like okay this is my calling I'm gonna be an artist and I'm going to like show the world my art and then of course I enrolled into art school and then realized oh if you're going to be an artist with traditional media you have to be very very good if not you're not gonna make any money and then everyone else was going into digital art like advertising they were doing um a lot of graphic design and i'm not very good with computers or maybe it's the introverted extrovert in me where it's like i need to be around people i can't be on my own all the time Mm. and um So before I decided on my major, I thought, let's just take a step back and see if I am actually going in the right direction, whether or not there are other things out there for me to consider. And so I told my mom, I'll take a year break and it's like, okay, what I'm going to do for a year, right? And it's not like I'm going to get any allowances. And so I thought, "Hmm, maybe I should get myself a job, but like, who's going to hire me? So go out and then, you know, thank goodness that was when uh, Starbucks was still very good in their training. I don't know about now because I haven't worked at Starbucks in a long time. But back then, I was very lucky to have walked into the Wanutama New Wing Starbucks. (laughs) So long ago. Oh, my gosh. So I went in there. I was like, I'm looking for a job. Will you guys hire? And they're like, yeah, sure. They had a chat with me and then sent me over. And the great thing about that was uh, I was put into a very structured beginning for F&B. So at Starbucks, they have like three uh, three or five consecutive days where it's full day training. You're at the, the headquarters. Uh, you're at the office where they have the entire machines and uh, the setting of the cafe all set up. And they put you through a very extensive sort of uh, how to make coffee, how to taste coffee, how to work, what's the flow and, you know, how do you call out drinks and all these kind of things. And so... Uh, I was very, um, I think I was very neatly guided into F&B instead of like, you know, going straight into working for a Chinese restaurant and just like running like a chicken without head. And after that, uh, they also had a workbook that you had to complete within the month, uh, which further followed up with, you know, all the um, standard operating procedures. What is the verbiage? How do you greet people? And yeah, um, I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is a whole new world. And it forced me to talk to people. (laughs) it's like you know like oh I can't I can't stay behind a computer screen all the time but put me like front and center in front of people I'm like oh no what am I gonna say and so like practice makes perfect and yeah um I realized also that my passion for food could kick in in this area passion for flavor because not only did they have like you know all the ice blended coffees that you want and you can have three a shift. I also got very fat on that job. (laughs) And uh, they also had a coffee tasting, uh, coffee pairing program, coffee tasting, and it's sort of like cupping sessions with uh, regulars, cupping sessions with uh, consumers who are in the store. And, uh, you know, not only do you learn how uh, the different brewing methods would produce different flavors and then with all these different flavors what could you pair with well of course you start with the food that is already in the store uh, whether it's sweet or savory or cakes or muffins and then also the I guess I was quite lucky as in the people at my store were quite passionate about this and so we would actually go down to the supermarket and go like oh my god I think like this Sumatra like will go so well with like you know just like grilled mushrooms like toasted mushrooms and then we would go and buy like a bag of butter mushrooms and slice them up and it's like oh where do we get butter and we'll like <laughs> go to the restaurant next door and go hi can we have some butter like just a bit because we want to try something yeah. and so like we started just you know, the grill that we that we would use for just like ciabattas mm-hmm. and stuff like that, like that got used for so many different things. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was a very fun time. I think uh, it was the perfect combination of 
a team of peers who were like equally excited about yeah. you know, the program and also um, customers who did not think we were completely insane. And they were like, yeah, okay, well, we'll go with it. <laughs> Until today, I don't know if, you know, we sort of uh, broke any rules for like food safety and <laughs> uh, you can only serve food that is being delivered to your store or... You know, if, so it's like more relaxed way back then, but you're not sure about now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now is a bit harder. Now mm. it's like, you know, everything needs to go through a, a, an approved purchasing yeah. source. Everything is very um, controlled. Mm. So back then the environment was a bit more relaxed. And so we could do what we did. <laughs> How did you transition from making coffee to creating cocktails? Uh, it's, it's a, it's an unnatural transition, but also a natural one because for me, I feel like, uh, coffee was giving me so many different, uh, spectrum. Yes. There's just like such a huge spectrum of flavor when it involves just one thing Mm. uh, means, right. And so, so many people think that coffee beans can only be brewed one way or tasted one way or be in one drink. But of course, now with the rise of third wave coffee, we all know that coffee is much more than that. And then I got intrigued by grapes. And I thought, okay, you know, how can just one thing, grapes, but there are so many varietals, you know, you have the Sauvignon Blanc grape, you have the Merlot grape, you have the blah, 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 so many things. And so it's like, okay, so it's not just grape. It's not just red wine, white wine. It's not just champagne. And there are like so many varieties as well. I'm like, okay, I want to study more. Mm. So I, I walked into a wine shop that was near my house and just straight up ask them are, are you hiring wow. <laughs> they're like not exactly but i guess we could chat <laughs> that was amanda one you're listening to foodie canteen when we come back more on how one injury led amanda to become an award-winning bartender this show is supported by good foodie media for foodie who wants to connect to the world through food that's where you go Find Penang Foodie, KL Foodie, Bangkok and Singapore Foodie on Instagram. They curate the best spots to eat and drink in these cities. After a while, uh, I unfortunately got into an accident where I dislocated my elbow. Uh, We may or may not talk more about that. (laughs) And then uh, while I was recovering, um, of course, I got laid off from my job because I couldn't carry Mm. wine crates um, with a broken arm. Mm. And then when a friend was uh, doing work with 789, uh, which is owned by the sold out group, um, he was like, hey, you know, they're hiring. Do you want to go try out? And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know how to make cocktails. I can make like juices. I can make coffee. And like, that's about it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. They'll they'll teach you. And I was like, how old were you like? that time during that time during this transition when you're thinking maybe I should go into cocktails uh 18 19 mm. yeah just past the mark where you can legally right. work with alcohol mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and then so I went in I had a chat uh the, the owners and the GM they were very very sweet um Michelle and then she was like oh you know do when can you start I was like I can start anytime I'm not working right now and she's like do you want to start tonight I was like tonight's a bit of a rush but I could come back tomorrow (laughs) yeah so uh I started and then of course the first day not knowing anything I thought oh you know like bar environment need to be like classy and sexy and all that so I turned up in heels and nearly died by the end of the shift I couldn't (laughs) (laughs) and of course like my 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 bar supervisor back then um uh, the late Frankie Anthony, mm. um, he <laughs> thought that I was just going to quit on the spot. Like, she's not going to come back tomorrow. Like, this, this is a lost cause. Like, she turned up in this, basically. <laughs> and then the fun thing was, I actually thought, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not going to just do this once and be done with it. Like, I want to see what there is 
you know what's what's in it and so the next day i showed up in boots <laughs> like they were the most ridiculous looking boots they had like fur trim and at least they were flat mm-hmm. but yeah i turned up in boots and i was like i can work like what am i gonna what should i do what can i do show me and then uh, frankie was like okay <laughs> This this is a, not a complete lost cause. So let's see what we can do with her. And he basically taught me a lot of the basics for bartending. And he was just such a good coach. And, you know, he's super fierce, but <laughs> has got a huge heart of gold. I miss him so much. Um, he basically gave me a teaspoon. And I was like, how you begin your journey in this industry, in this world of cocktails, is you have a teaspoon with you now and you are going to taste one teaspoon out of every single bottle that there is on the shelves. And I was like, whoa, amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that, that, that was just like an artist getting not only like, you know, your standard 10 to 12 color box of crayons. And now it's like, you know, the, the set that opens up and then the drawers that open up to the next compartment and you're just like, oh my goodness, there's so many colors to play with. So yeah, that, that was an exciting part of my life. <laughs> Back in 2010, you at your first bartending competition, you were the first female bartender to represent Malaysia um, in a competition in Greece. Tell us about that hmm. story. Yeah, that was uh, super unexpected as well because, you know, it was my first year bartending professionally. That's when I uh, joined the Hilton Hotel after my internship with them. They were like, eh, this one's not half bad. Let's hire her. <laughs> I was like, okay. And uh, I basically just did what I felt was right. Like I tried to put together drinks that I felt were tasty and were things that I would drink and I would be happy with. And I think uh, the lucky thing about being Malaysian is you are just naturally warm and friendly and people would gravitate towards you and you don't feel like it's hard to, you know, make friends or, you know, make people feel at ease. And you're just like, you're just natural because we're just like, we're chill, right? And we like to eat. Like this, what's, what's the, <laughs> what better combination can you come across? <laughs> so, yeah, um, I went for it because uh, my senior, Sean Chong, actually uh, competed in it the year before me. And so he could show me a little bit of like what is expected of me. And I was like, okay, so let's try this. And went from one round to the second, to the third, and all the way up to the finals in Singapore. And uh, they were like, okay, when they announced the winner, I was like, really? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So yeah, uh, when I went there, my eyes were just my mind was blown. My eyes were open so wide. I think my jaw was on the floor or, you know, in my hands the entire time because you were, um, you know, meeting some legendary people for the first time, like um, late Gary Regan and then there's Dale DeGroff and all these people who actually wrote the cocktail books that were the fundamentals of my learnings and stuff like that. And you know, just being able to see them in real life was like, oh, wow, okay. And how, <laughs> how is, would you say this experience changed your life or your career even until it, today? I think it really showed me that uh, competitions are not just for young bartenders, that there were bar managers who were in, you know, well into their 40s and 50s who were competing and owners, uh, you know, who ran their own bar and then there were people who were bringing like two suitcases full of uh, their own gear and uh, their own glassware, their own ingredients and you know all of these um, crazy contraptions that I've never seen before as well and everyone was really going all out with it and I think World Class when it first started was one of those uh, life-changing competitions for bartenders Mm. because Uh, not only did they test across uh, many different skill levels, like not only your speed and also, uh, you know, the historical accuracy of the cocktails you were making and also uh, food pairing that there was another round and also how you would serve a bottle and 
you know, all the different serves. And so, yeah, uh, there was a market challenge as well where uh, you had to pick up, uh, what were, what were we given? I was given 40 euros and then I could run to the nearest store market to go and grab whatever ingredients I wanted, come back and make two contrasting drinks. Wow. And um I, I came away from that competition thinking, oh my gosh, I could do this for life. Like, wow, this is not something that I am going to consider just for the short term or I, could, I have to do something else. But there are people who are completely dedicated to actually making themselves the top of their craft out of this industry. And so, yeah, that, I stuck around. You've worked in different cities in Indonesia, UK, Russia, Hong Kong. Which city do you think impacted you the most? So uh, I didn't work work per se in these cities, but I did visit these cities in terms of a work um, environment because uh, I was either going for a competition or I was going to uh, do a presentation or, um, you know, just to have like a guest bartending shift or stuff like that. So even though they were sort of like short-term stints, either from a day to a week, uh, it still was a huge surprise to me that I was traveling for work as a bartender. My favorite city, I have to say, is Hong Kong because I spent the most time in Hong Kong and I also grew the most in Hong Kong where I went from not just a bartender to a bar manager and then moved across the board to be um, part of the beverage development team as well. And I always tell people that there are two ways to growth. Like you either grow um, linear, that's just like, you know, either up, 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 or down, 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 down. So you either get like you know, more and more in depth or you get like better and better at like the one thing you do or you grow um, horizontally where it's across the board. And a lot of people used to say that bartenders are jacks of all trades, which I think still remains true because, you know, not only are you making drinks, but you're also like uh, serving them. You're also cleaning them. Uh, you're also like cleaning the venue at the end of the night, you know, you're washing down everything and you're talking to people and you're also being like uh you're also being a therapist. You're also being like, uh, uh, you're also being like a marketeer. You're being, everything. And if you have plants in the bar, you are also the gardener or the florist. <laughs> yeah. So basically um, why Hong Kong impacted me the most, mm. not only did it help me grow across the board, but it was also a city where in the time that I was there was one of the most vibrant cocktail scenes. And there were so many people who are moving into Hong Kong. They, were in Singapore and they were moving into Hong Kong and they were setting up shop and uh, all these incredible ideas were being brought in and like all these people. And basically Hong Kong is also one of those cities where you can transit uh, on a flight to anywhere else in the world. And so it became a sort of hub yeah. for everyone who's doing anything and everything. So right. from your like high-flying uh, finance people to like all your arts and creative people. So everyone was there and there was just a, a huge sort of ball of energy that was buzzing all of the time. And I just love, I love that. It's just the, the entire sort of can do have somewhere like you want to go somewhere there is a place that you want to go to like an underground concert there is some place like that you want to go to like late night dim sum there is some place like that like you want to get uh, these uh, stamps for your uh, initials and uh, things like Kaft and Jade like yeah we know someone on the street corner who does yeah. that and so yeah. that Hong Kong is such a city of can do wow. like everything that you wanted. You could find somebody who was making it or supplying it or bringing it in or yeah. And do you I, think that, do you think that, that can do spirit shape who you are today? Even though you have moved yeah, away from the city. Also, 
if you were not fast enough, <laughs> you would be left behind. And if you get left behind, you also get trampled on. <laughs> it's very hard to like get back onto the course of things. And so I think uh, Hong Kong really gave me uh, the drive to really like just push forward and be like, go, 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 go all of the time, right? There are like 10 things happening at the same time. You've created many unique um, beverages from Dew Drops of the Heart, which is a pandan flavored drink, to Constance that's made with wasabi and jasmine tea. How do you come up with these unique ideas? Like, what's your inspiration behind them? I think uh, uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, a lot of my inspiration is food. Like, a lot of the time I'm eating something and I'll be like, oh, maybe this compare with that. Like, why don't we try? I don't know how it's like, or like, let's just give it a go. Or uh, I could be walking along the street somewhere and, you know, something would catch my eye, like, oh, that spark. And like, oh, how do I condense that spark into a tangible item that you can, you know, experience? Because not only do you look at a drink, but you also taste it and touch it and interact with it. So like the dewdrops of the heart is actually a fun story because, uh, I wanted to capture the early morning dew on blades of grass and pandan being this long blade of grass uh, can be tied to the stem of a champagne flute. And we found those champagne flutes that were um, sort of flared and then tapered on top. So more of like a tulip shape. So the piece of pandan leaf actually just like sort of extended along the edge of the glass. And when you drank from it, uh, the leaf sort of just lies gently on the side of your face. And so that's that's the idea of it. And, you know, some people will be like, huh, why are you so hopeless, really romantic? Can you just be a bit more satsang, be a bit more realistic, you know? Like, how, how do we get things out fast and mm. good? And I was like, yeah, but, you know, like, we, we can prepare these in advance. And so I had um, pandan leaves that were cut tapered at the bottom and they were measured to be uh, extending out from the glass, maybe like two inches. And then I had a uh, floral wire. So the green wire. So, you know, florist, <laughs> you just run down to them and get like, okay, I want like green wire. And I would just cut it to length. And so when there's an order, you just pick up a leaf and pick up the glass and just twist it around the base and it's ready. Mm. So you know, it's uh, it, it was one of my favorite things because it was uh, it was green tea, it was uh, pandan, it was vodka, and it was just something really simple, refreshing, and it was also fizzy, uh, which we used, uh, which we produce using the Pellini shaker, which is a carbonating shaker, and so you would just inject CO two into it, ice, liquid, shake it up, and it would be fizzy when you pour it out. Uh, Constance was a huge um, controversy, I guess. Like a lot of people either hated it or loved it. And some people were so hesitant about it that they wouldn't even taste it or try it or go near it. Cause they're like, oh, I, I have like such bad experiences with wasabi. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, used in the right amount, it's great to just sort of elevate the flavors through your olfactory senses. So it just comes up on the back of your nose. And just that little hint of it helps the jasmine and uh, you know the, the, the flavors of the rum, because I was using Bacardi rum, and just all the floral notes help, you know, sort of like push it up and keep it there in, in your senses. And you could continue like smelling the drink even after you've tasted it. And so it's all these ideas behind it that we, that I, I really enjoy like breaking it down and putting it back together in ways that maybe are not uh, conventional or expected. And yeah, so some people like it, some people don't like it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not here to please everybody. <laughs> for many, the bar is a place to meet friends and get a drink. But for this mixologist, the bar is a stage and an escape. Although bartenders often play the role of psychologists, they are not short of their troubles. Amanda brings us behind the bar and opens up about her frustrations with her gender overshadowing her talents, battling her self-worth and why we should not use our friends as our therapists. What, what does the bar mean to you? 
the bar is a very special place to me because I think uh, when I first started, the bar was an escape for me. It's somewhere that I can go to to do what I wouldn't normally do and be able to be a different person, someone who's more bubbly, someone who's more you know, upbeat. And you know, when uh, I finished and I could just sort of go back into my shell, but also the bar is where you meet the most uh, the most amount of different people. Uh, you have people who are celebrating. You have people who are grieving. You have people who you know just uh, wanna want company. You want people who uh, you use. You, you find people who are with friends, with family, with uh, long lost lovers, with lovers who are about to get married. <laughs> so like it's like. I, I jokingly tell people that uh, part of my job is to be a professional eavesdropper. Like I will never be like right in front of you asking you what's going on, but from you know your your body language, from uh, what you've mentioned on the phone, because people don't realize this, but when you sit at the bar, everything you say and do is like loudspeaker for us mm-hmm. inside of the bar. So. <laughs> You have no choice but to turn into a professional eavesdropper. And, you know, the stories that uh, uh, that come through the bar is just um, just uh, very, very thought-provoking, I think. It makes you think about a lot of stuff. It makes you think about life a lot. Is there an instance that you can share with us? Mm, I don't know about anyone in particular. But I I know friends that we've made across the bar who, you know, have continued on to be friends with us for years after that. Yeah. And like, um, just there are some regulars who come in who don't even have to speak to us and we can just prepare their favorite drink, like what they usually drink, you know, whether it's uh, cranberry and uh, vodka and cranberry with a splash of soda and then squeeze of two wedges of lime and then just put it in front of them. It doesn't have to be like a hugely complicated cocktail. It's just you provide what people want. And, you know, part of it just makes you very sensitive naturally to how people are and uh, be able to connect, empathize with them because the the bar is uh, I I always like to tell people that you know a bartender means someone who's tending the bar someone who's taking care of the bar and someone who's taking care of the people at the bar and now these days it doesn't end with just your guest at the bar but it's also your colleagues and you know your, your people that other people that you see, your suppliers, your bosses, you know, uh, different people from different departments, but you always extend that tenderness to the people that you come across at the bar. And I feel that that is what makes the bar in, an incredibly magical place. Would you say the bar is also like a stage to you? Oh yeah, for sure. Especially when you're making drinks behind it. Uh, when people are sitting there, they are forced to look at you and you've got to give the people something to look at, right? So <laughs> part of it is also, you know, uh, being a natural performer or, you know, some, I know some people who are bartenders who are huge introverts, but whenever they get put behind a bar, they just feel like, ah, you know, this is where my confidence level comes in. And, you know, like I can talk to people and I can do, um, things that I may normally feel more shy about doing because at least now I'm protected by like two feet of concrete. <laughs> and, and also, you know, it's, it's, it's part of, um, it's, it's also being a showman of like, okay, you know, giving them an experience. This is uh, what you're tasting. And then like, you know, in this rum, it's been aged in a tropical climate before it goes into uh, France and is aged in ex-cognac barrels. And, you know, just with your descriptions and with uh, the way you work, the way you speak, you can transport people to a different time and place. And that is, that is a superpower. (laughs) believe it or not so yeah when when you do it well you just feel like oh wow I did that 
and I could do that. And people would feel like, oh my gosh, that that's that's been such a fun time sitting here and watching you work and you know chatting with you and stuff like that, or just keeping them company as well. Like the who who was it? Uh, a friend asked me how how do you qualify to become like a favorite guest at the bar by bartenders? Like, like sometimes you get free stuff. Sometimes you, you get like, you know, treated differently. And I'm like, well, it is as simple as being just nice, mm. you know, be engaging, you know, be engaged and be like kind, you know, kindness is something that people overlook so much these days where it feels like, Oh, you are just, you know, you're in the service industry, you should service me. But they forget that, you know, part of what gives us joy is to be able to be of service to other people. Being of service doesn't mean being a slave. Being of service means I have the opportunity to make, uh, you know, your evening or uh, your hour or however long you're spending at a bar uh, a better part of your day. And some people um, associate the bar with like, pop, a club, or partying, um, are there any parts of this stereotype that's not true? People mistake the bar for being just a pub because that is what they're most used to for so many years, right? Uh, cocktail bars, I think, are still evolving and still growing and customers, guests for cocktail bars are still growing as well as they learn more, as they uh, want to explore more. And back in the day, I think when I first started, my parents probably thought I was just working like at some CD sports bar or like some sort of Feng Tao nightclub. <laughs> I'm like, no, actually, this is really nice. Mm, like, it's yeah. really nice and proper. So I was like, don't believe me, come. And so they did come and sit at a bar and I hosted them, made them drinks. Know, brought, uh, ordered them food and all that kind of stuff and they're like oh this is a really nice environment I'm like yeah you know I wouldn't want to purposely put myself in uh, difficult positions and thank goodness for most of my career I've been able to work at places that were very professional where I didn't have to have bouncers throwing out people uh, <laughs> who were trying to you know, climb over the bar or like starting a fight, I have to call the police. And I think I, I've been quite lucky in that sense. I'm also the kind of person that I, I don't like conflict. So if I work in a place that has uh, a chance to get very messy, I would get myself out of there before it happens. So for our older generation, I think they still have that association of the bar being a place of vices, of gambling, of like drunkenness, of like, you know, lewdness and bad language and stuff like that. But it's, it's evolved. It's very nice now. Go out to a cocktail bar near you and experience it for yourself. <laughs> How do you think the industry's perception of women in bartending has changed ever since compared to, uh, to when you first started and now? I always feel like that's such an odd question because um, women have always been in bars. Women have always been making drinks as well. They're just not as highly publicized or, you know, as well known, so to speak, just because they're, you know, with with time and what it was and it was just that men were traveling more or you know held ownership of more businesses I'm talking about like back 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 in the day they they only allowed you to be a certain stereotype right it's like you have to be cute and bubbly and cheery and just like fun fun sized and fun all of the time and you're not allowed to have uh, serious conversations or, you know, have deeper thoughts and stuff like that. But I think that is not just in the bar, but in general, where these days more and more women who are in control and authority and power are able to just embrace that and not feel like, oh, I'm, I'm an outsider or something like that. Mm. When I started, I was very 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 fortunate actually that my fellow bartenders 
just treated me like another brother. And it just felt like, you know, I was playing uh, in my old neighborhood when I was a kid. And, you know, we were just all doing the same thing. They were like, you know, you can do what you want if you work for it. And they're like, and she's willing to put in the hours. She's willing to put in the blood, sweat and tears. And so they're like, yeah, you're one of us. And these, these guys were just so such, they, they play such a huge role in my early bartending career to not make me feel like I was different, that I was limited to the things that I could do and would do. Um, I think it was not until probably six, seven years ago that I felt like I don't have to conform to what others think a female bartender should be. And you know, I don't have to be wearing a shirt, vest and tie to look like a bartender. I could bartend in a dress. I could bartend in heels if my feet allowed me to. I could bartend in anything I wanted. I could just be who I am unapologetically and people would accept it. And so, yeah, uh, it, it really saddens me that in many countries still, uh, guests who come to the bar would say, oh, you're a female bartender, so you're not used to making drinks that are strong or uh, manly. And so like, I want a guy to make my drink. And it's like, yeah, sure. And I'll get my male colleague to make you a drink and we'll put a pink umbrella on it with a flamingo on the side. <laughs> so like, yeah, I don't know why there's still this group of people who are very afraid of um, things not being the way they perceive them to be. And so to that, we're like, well, you're on your own there. We're living our lives. We're living our lives as who we are and who we want to be. So yeah, either get on with it or don't be a part of it. And we're okay with that. Right now you're based in Mm -hmm. Singapore with Shangri-La Hotel. What are your day-to-day tasks? Uh, it's, it's been good. I've been like slowly getting my feet back under me because uh, I haven't worked a full-time job in the last two years. <laughs> it's uh, been part-timing and really uh, just, you know, getting back on my feet again. And I feel like so many of us have been through the go, 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 go nonstop. And then when the pandemic hit, a lot of us were either out of work or staying home or had out work like vastly cut down and when I first moved here people were like oh you know why why don't you get like a bar manager role or get like you know a, a leading role and you know take over or like we're opening a, opening a new place like we want you to head it and stuff like that but I feel like I wasn't ready to go all in again because I've been sort of you know half half in the water half out of the water and I was actually planning to leave the industry to go become a teacher because I really love working with kids and I was teaching Sunday school for many years. And yeah, I I felt like I didn't want to put myself under that pressure that will cause me to crack again. So I thought it would be great to be an assistant. So I'm an assistant manager to my beverage and bar manager, Adam who is incredible. He's amazing in terms of managing his team and just making sure that each one of us is taken care of. And uh, he was looking for someone to assist him in the daily, in the day-to-day tasks of uh, managing training modules and uh, putting out, um, you know, just uh, more tasting sessions and stuff like that. And uh, just being able to champion the program that the bar stood for. And I was really hoping to be an understudy of somebody who's already been doing this for a few years and how I can come to it and how I can add uh, add to it and how I can support it. And so I think it was a great um, marriage of uh, expectations and also skill sets where he knows that he can count on me to do all of this. And I know that I can count on him to, you know, give me the direction and uh, the 
the, the purpose of the space and what we can do together as a team. And the team is just like warm and friendly and so, so, so sweet. And it's been such a joy working in this environment again. Like I, when I came to Singapore, I really wanted to find somewhere that I could call home again. And I wanted somewhere that you know, it was not such a huge space, but it's cozy enough that we could uh, do a lot more uh, as one unit uh, together. So Origin Bar became a great option for me and I'm, I'm quite enjoying it so far. I think that the first couple of weeks were painful, painful. <laughs> I could not feel my feet after work and I, my back was breaking. I have to book myself in for massages and get my husband to massage me. <laughs> and just Like, yeah, it was, it, it was a, also a time where I doubted myself where I'm like, Oh my God, did I make a mistake? And I'm, am I not meant to do this again? But the great thing about this industry is, is, is like riding a bicycle, right? You learn how to ride a bicycle and you know how to ride a bicycle. And when you haven't been on it for a while, you just sort of like, you can ease yourself back into it and having a team that is so understanding and uh, so good already at what they do just made it, you know, so much more of a joy to be a part of. And what, what made I, you take I, a break um, like in your previous job and you decided that you were thinking maybe you want to quit this entirely? I think uh, when we, we talk about staying, we talk about staying sober, right? Uh, people battle with different uh, challenges in life. And I, I was battling a lot of uh, self-worth issues and also just like being on the go, doing things all of the time and not really looking at what I needed, uh, whether physically or mentally. And, you know, I wasn't eating properly. I wasn't uh, making sure of my sleep cycles and stuff like that. And so everything just sort of crashed in on itself. And, you know, I started having like digestive issues and all of this is all like symptoms of anxiety. And so I thought, you know what, maybe I've already come to a point in my career where this is like enough for me. <laughs> and, you know, people are like, and people can be so nasty and people can be so demanding and just like, just, you know, throwing their entitlement around and you see the good in people and you see a lot of, the absolutely disgusting behavioral traits of some people in this industry. And I think uh, I really wanted to just shift the entire focus to uh, more innocent hearts and minds. And nurturing yourself. Do. Yeah. And, and sorry? Nurturing Without? yourself. Yeah. And also be able to do something that was... Uh, completely different from what I was involved with before and be, uh, you know, rest, be able to rest and be able to recharge and be able to sort of rediscover myself, like what are my priorities now, what are the things that I want and I need and how can I, you know, be more attentive to <laughs> what I should take care of before I try to take care of everything else. And what did you do and in that process? Like, is it like reading, meditation or something else? No. <laughs> I, uh, some people would say, oh, you have to surround yourself with uh, people who can uh, love on you, people who can pray for you, people who can you know all of these um, being part of a community thing. So I, I felt like, what really helped me was to be in touch with a counselor. So a friend of mine actually started a mental health startup, uh, my friend Joan, and it's called uh, Thoughtful. And it puts you in touch with a counselor uh, on a daily basis, Monday to Friday, uh, short, you know, maybe 30 minutes, an hour, but someone that you can chat with on a constant basis, someone who can guide you in processing not only like your thoughts and your emotions and what you're struggling with and also give you like clear guidelines on how you can work through it, how you can identify it and how you can be better at it. And so 
I, the kind of person that I like clarity. I like to know exactly what I need to do, what I have to do, what, you know, um, I, I like blueprints of things. I like standard operating, operating procedures. I like things that are written out, like clearly step one is this, step two, step three is this. And so to be able to really like unpack everything with somebody else who has, you know, zero investment in your life. Like they don't have to be invested in it, but they are going to help you to process all of this with so many things going on with pandemic, with uh, Black Lives Matter, with, you know, Asian hate, all of these things just sort of like snowballed. I remember seeing a comic of someone going like, oh, regular anxiety. And then COVID anxiety, financial anxiety, nah, 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 nah. everything just sort of like piled on and suddenly you're just like, no, I'm losing all my marbles. But it really is, you know, there's, there's no shame and there's no harm in asking for help. And there's, you know, not everyone has this all figured out. If you're okay without a counselor or a therapist, that's great. And if you would like to see one, you would like to get to know like how someone else could help you go through all of the things. And yeah, the worst thing is when you treat your friend as your counselor. Because oh, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of us are doing that. <laughs> Yeah, that friendship is not going to last very long because one person is definitely going to feel like they're giving too much and the other person may be taking too much and not realizing it. But when you, and then we also talk about boundaries, right? So these are like the boundaries that you have within friendships. But then I felt like a lot of my frustration and a lot of my anxiety was being poured out onto my husband and he was bearing the brunt of all of my um, outbursts and um, you know all of my emotional episodes and like why why are you crying I just can't stop crying I don't know why <laughs> but it's just I still feel so overwhelmed with all of the things like I I wanted change I wanted to do something different I wanted to you know be good at what I wanted to find my calling again and I wanted to be able to provide for my family and so yeah we want to start a family <laughs> yeah. so many things right mm. and so if if you feel overwhelmed it's always good to find someone to talk to and if you feel like you want to take it a step further to really like break down what you're going through and how you want to process it and how you want to be able to like how to say to get hold of it yeah mm. so like to be able to be in control of it so that you are more aware of mm. your surroundings and your emotions and how you know you can be a <laughs> functional human being again without stressing yourself out or stressing other people around you out and it's good that with my current boss as well, he can spot that coming from me sometimes and he'll just be like, <laughs> he'll just do this. And I'm like, okay, I got the cue. <laughs> and there's power in saying like, hey, I need to stop. I need to rest now. Right now, I need to take a break rather than just going on and on and on. And um, just hearing you say, because... Uh, a lot of people like in their early 20s or mid-20s, they're like looking for their calling, you know. And for you, you've mm. been in this industry for 10 years now. And it's just, is it is the word refreshing to hear you say that after 10 years, you are so passionate about this. And after 10 years, you are still like, okay, wait, I'm lost. What's my calling now? What's my, what am I passionate about? Because you always think that it's that questioning it when you're 20 something and then you you finally found it and you do it for 10 years and yay is the highway it's like, it's like you know you don't just find something and then be like okay i'm, I'm like doing this for like the entirety right. of my life like yeah. Yeah, some people get that but yeah. some people do also get like a second start right. and some people also get like you know i don't know if this is for me and i'm like second guessing myself now and mm. I don't know if this is right and it's perfectly all right to feel that way I think so much pressure is put on people to have like a linear growth right you know right. like the 
line must be but going. But we know like it's up, not true. Up, it's up, not linear line. growth. But it's not true. It goes up and down and up and down yeah. and plateau. There's a lot of plateau. Mm. And it's okay if you plateau. You know, you get so many young people who are like, oh, I feel like I'm not learning on this job anymore. It's like, yeah, that's when you're being conditioned to be mm. perfect at what you do, better at what you do. Because when you do the day in, day out, when you do all the basic, all the tedious, all the repeating tasks, that's when you're really like shulian. Right? Yes. You're really like just making yourself better. You're like... Um, Doing what, the mundane, what, the consistency and you yeah. practice and so it becomes perfect. Exactly. So it's like, you know, you, you need to go through periods of... Um, like, I can't find that word right now. Like when, when you're like a clay pot and you're in the fire or like when uh, you're molding, a molding, pruning. Yeah, so, yeah in, mm. in, that, in that season, right? Yeah. Where you don't feel like you're doing anything great, but you're actually being prepared or you're preparing yeah. for greater opportunity that will come. And so like all of our plateaus and our dips and the dips are really like, you know, you think of it as like a trampoline because mm. you got to go down before you can go back up and you got to go like further down before you can go further up. And so it's, it's just sort of like, it's, it's all over the place. This line, this graph is not like this. Definitely not like this. It's really going to be like all over the place, backtrack, forward, and then like, you know, up, down, left, right, whatever. It could be like a 4D map already. <laughs> I don't think of it that way, right? It's yeah. not even 2D anymore. Mm. But there's so much pressure that's being put on just people in general, not just in our industry to like, oh, you know, if you're getting older, you just have to be getting better and better and better and better and better. That is not the clear line. You know, you have so many different um, shapes that can be drawn out of the, your own growth chart. And that makes you who you are. And that makes you unique and makes you memorable so <laughs> don't put that pressure on yourself to be just one straight line you're not a straight line you're a human being <laughs> even though sometimes I feel a bit tired of like why do I still have to keep being keep keep being branded why do I have to keep being branded as like oh this female bartender like it's what, such what a do you not what do you not like about that when articles write because Honestly, when I was doing research on you, all the titles were like, how this female bartender broke the glass ceiling. Like, that's your title. Do you not it's like, like it? A, it? It's a title that has been around for so many years. So what, and how would you like people to frame you now? Uh, no, the, the thing that saddens me is that we're saying this over and over again, but it still needs to be said. It still needs to be put out there because there are still women who are being oppressed there are still women who are finding it difficult to, you know, excel in other industries that are not uh, generically or traditionally uh, female focused. And so even though I feel like, oh, you know, like oh, here's, here's another one again, like here's, here's another time to go through everything, but it's wow. needed. Okay. And so like it frustrates it, you, but you know that you need to do it. You need to say it. Yeah, like wow. it frustrates me to no end. Wow. But we have to say, we have to put the word out there again because I feel like people forget it. People move on and go like, oh, actually, like we don't really see many female faces. Actually, you do. Yeah. You know, just go down to your local bar and you will see that even though they're not behind the bar all of the time, even though they're not like shaking drinks or they're not on magazine covers or in articles, and mm. there are still women working in this industry. And so, you know, that really like, makes my blood boil <laughs> but it's something that still needs to be done do you have any advice for aspiring bartenders that's listening to the podcast i would say be aware of uh, the people you surround yourself with but more importantly make sure that you have these three people in your lives you'll have someone that you look up to you have someone that you can live life with and you have someone that you can be an inspiration to. I would say like your your bei, your bei, and your bei, right? Because uh, you must always have someone uh, that you look up to, to learn from, to be more like, to, uh, 
sort of give you drive to be better. It doesn't have to be someone from the same industry. It can just be, you know, someone you look up to, an elder who has done well in their choice of career or their, their choices in life. And you really appreciate it. It could be your mom, it could be your teacher, um, it could be Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> um, yeah, you just have to be con continually looking forward and looking upward uh, because there's so much that goes on in life that could pull you down. And you need to have your peers to live life with, you know, whether it is to cry together, to laugh together, to celebrate together, to, you know, scream and yell together, <laughs> all of the frustrations in life, right? You need to know that you are not in this on your own. You need to know that there are people out there like you who are having the same shared experiences. And this is a phase that you will be able to power through because when we're blinded by like, oh, this is just me, like, oh, it's me again. And then like everything is just happens to me. But if you don't reach out to your friends and people around you, you're like, oh, actually they're, they're going through some stuff too. And how can you sort of, you know, be a shoulder to lean on for each other through this time? And uh, most importantly is to have someone that you can be an inspiration to because what's the point of living if you're just <laughs> gonna go through with your life? You never know like you're behind, when you're behind the bar. When you're behind a bar, people are always looking at you. Even when you're living your life, you think I'm just doing what I'm doing. I'm just, uh, you know, being who I am. But there are people, you know, around you who are looking at you. And some of them are looking at you for guidance. A lot of people say a lot of bad behavior are uh, what kids pick up as children from their parents and from their elders around them. And so who you are and what you're doing actually without you knowing it or not is affecting other people. And so if you can find you know, a junior, someone who's uh, keen to enter the industry and someone who's hungry to learn and be able to say like, hey, you know, I may not know all of the answers, but uh, we could do this together. We could grow together. and share your experiences your past experiences with your junior and so your junior could see more through other people's eyes as well and compare and contrast with what they see and what they experience uh, by themselves be able to make um, better decisions based on all of this the, the the sum of the information that they will have access to you know we're way past the edge of we're way past the age of by C. It's like, you know, you only have one sifu and you have to follow this sifu until the day you die. Or like, I cannot teach you any of the secrets of this industry unless you pledge loyalty to me and the rest of your life. That's crazy, right? The information is so widely available these days, but filtering it and just having that good <laughs> head on your shoulders to discern between, you know, a lot of bullshit and what's right and what's what and then what works so it's really just a, a full circle kind of thing i think asians perhaps are more familiar with uh the the three generations like to have like you know your grandparents your parents and the kids all in the same household but we need to practice this more often in our daily life as well to have people who can be our elders and people we can learn from and people whom we can uh, live life with and go through our life with and people whom we can uh, inspire and people who can learn from us and how we can be held accountable uh, to make the right choices as well and to hold ourselves in a respectable manner so that people don't, our juniors don't look at us and go like, they're also like that. So, you know, like, like there's there's no respect there and stuff like that but really you know respect is earned um a lot of what we have in life is earned we can be part of what makes it easier for our juniors to earn it and to share with them how it was difficult before that they can be grateful for how it's easier now and yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of patience. It's a lot of um, 
frustration as well, but isn't that life? And when you feel like uh, life has been a little bit too full throttle for yourself, just don't be afraid to take a step back. Yeah, I think that's such a sound yet powerful advice because a lot of times we just drift through life, like enjoy work and enjoy and work. But um, to have this, the mentors, your peers and um, a junior, someone you can be an inspiration to, it's also adds up to, you feel like you have, you're accountable in your life. Like you are aware of what you're doing and not just drift through life like this. And Amanda, thank you so much um, for coming on the show today and just sharing your story with us, your experience um, and your frustrations and knowing that you still, no matter how many times you repeated yourself, this story needs to be told um, to make this bartending to a world, to make this world a better place. Mm. Thank you. Those are very big words, but, you know, I'm happy to share if there are people who are happy to listen. So thank you for listening. <laughs> you have just listened to Amanda One's story on Foodie Canteen. This show is produced by me, your host, Castle Lim, and co-written by Sulin Cheng. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the excellent team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening.